Welcome to our sixth part. Um, I don't want to call it, I'll call it a class. Why not? It makes it sound, uh, this, we're going to study the, uh, go through the different parts of the divine liturgy. Um, and sometimes we'll go line by line or we'll go theme by theme. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll touch upon some of the, of course, the theology behind the, behind the Eucharist. Also the, um, the scriptures behind the Eucharist, the symbolism, sometimes the practical parts of the liturgy. Uh, but we're going to be studying the liturgy because, not because it's a text, even though it, it does have some very beautiful poetry to it. Um, and, but we're not going to study and analyze it as if it's poetry. We're going to study and look at it because the Eucharist, the liturgy, is meant to be lived. It's meant to be celebrated. It's meant to be participated in. Uh, we're all meant to have some role in the liturgy, uh, whether it be coming, uh, but also singing, praying, participating, uh, serving in the altar if you have that role, either as a clergy or as an acolyte, uh, singing in the choir. But the liturgy is meant to be lived and celebrated is to be a way of life. Um, so this is the, um, the Eucharist is what defines us as Orthodox Christians. I remember when I was in Oakland and I was a, uh, an eager little assistant in Oakland, I would get so pumped up and, and, and excited and worried and nervous about all the, all the things that go on in the big parish life. And I remember I was with Metropolitan Nikitas and he said, Father Michael, you need to stop being so concerned about these other things. The most important thing that we do as, as Orthodox Christians is celebrate the divine liturgy. I remember he said that in a parish council meeting where we were, of course, doing what often parish councils do is be concerned about the money and the budget and the festival and the power and the electric bill and the gas bill. And I remember some people, some of the parish council members draw almost dropped when, when Metropolitan his eminence said, the most important thing is the liturgy. And I really, it's really true. And the, the older I get, um, the more I serve, I serve as a priest, Father James can say the same thing, the more deeper we can go into this life of, um, of the Eucharist. I've been a priest for 15 years. I was a deacon for a year before that. And I remember when I served, before I was ordained, I was thinking, what happens after I'm a priest for a year? Am I going to get bored? What happens if I'm a priest for five years? Am I going to go through the motions? What happens if I'm a priest for 10 years and I've been, I've been, um, I've been preaching on the, the demoniacs, which we do twice a year. So now I've done that, I've preached on that 30 times. What am I going to say about all? Man, Father James probably has the, same, has the same experience. But what makes the liturgy uh, alive, what allows us to participate in it, is to really delve into it and to learn about it. Uh, because this is the goal of these classes we're going to be doing, is to increase our understanding of the liturgy, to uh, improve our experience of the divine liturgy, to be knowledgeable worshipers, to be active worshipers, to increase our praise to God, to be inspired at the beauty of the divine liturgy, to um, hear the gospel that's preached through the divine liturgy. One father has said that um, 
if we had lost all the Bibles in the world, say, and we only had the divine liturgy of St. John Chrysostom and of St. Basil the Great, we can, we can, we can um, patch back together, maybe not the word for word of the Gospels and the Scriptures, but we would have the kernel of the Gospel preached to us and be able to preach for us um, in our very hands. So our salvation and the Gospel is preached to us through the divine liturgy. We, we want to learn these classes so we can be sanctified. We can receive the Holy Spirit. We can be trans, transformed by what goes on during this time, by, re, by, by being present in the, in the church, in the body of Christ, in the holy presence of the one holy Catholic apostolic church, even here in our humble cities of Bellingham and of Everson, that we experience this, this grace and this presence of God here. Uh, the liturgy, we study the liturgy so that our, we can be transformed back to our original beauty. I don't know if you've been to a, an Orthodox funeral before, but one of the things that we, we pray and we sing is that the person who is deceased, we, we in the community come together as, the, as a community of the Eucharist to offer this person so that God can restore that person's soul and body to its original beauty. God has made us to be beautiful. He has made us beautiful. It's marred by all the, the sin and the nonsense that we have, we experience in this world. Often things that we don't choose, but some things that we do choose. And we come here to be sanctified and to be restored over and over again, liturgy by liturgy, week by week, year by week, year by year for our whole lives. We study the liturgy so that by God's grace and mercy and compassion, and by God's man-befriending nature, uh, we, can, um, we can enter into God's presence. We were studying in our Hebrew Bible study about this idea that the Jews in the Old Testament, the Jews, the Old, the Jews in the Old Testament, oh, not continue. Okay, um, the, the Jews in the Old Testament we're not able to experience God and his presence in the way that we experience presence. When the Jews were with God in the temple, there was a wall between them. That this idea of holiness was that God is holy and that we are not because of our sins and that we are with God, but there's, God does not approach us. There's only so, close, so much we can go towards God that we cannot go any closer. But we Christians... In the, in, in, in the, with the New Testament, with this new way of life in Christ, we are in God's presence so much that he is even inside, he goes inside of our bodies and inside of our souls that we, we have this communion and this real presence with him. So the Eucharist is a very profound answer to a vision that many, many people yearn for uh, in the Old Testament and prayed for and struggled for, and even as St. Paul says in Hebrews, were martyred for without receiving what we have today in our liturgy that we receive every, uh, every Sunday morning and throughout the week. So the participation in the divine liturgy is the most important thing that we do as Orthodox Christians. It's the most important thing that we do as clergy and as lay people. 
that the divine liturgy throughout the history of the church, at least throughout the history of the ancient church and throughout the history of the Orthodox church, the divine liturgy is what defined Orthodox Christianity. Um, so this is why we are uh, studying the liturgy. The liturgy makes Orthodox Christians recognizable to each other, to you and to me, and to those in the world. Now in Bellingham, I'm sure when I go out in the church, when I go out in the street, I'm sorry, and they people, whether I'm dressed as a priest or not, people somehow know that I'm the priest. Uh, and they, they know from coming to the, to, the, to the Greek festival here, and many in the community know about the Greek festival, and they, they, they identify us with our festival. Someday, I cannot wait to be out in Starbucks and someone say, you're the priest that leads that liturgy there at St. Sophia, right? You're the, you're the, you're the, you know, I say, yes, that's how, that's how I know you people. I, I want to join you. That day's coming. And I'm, and I really hope that that is a, as beautiful and good and how much I miss the liter the, uh, the festival now. It's really an opportunity to grow and be defined and understand that we are defined by the uh, divine liturgy. Uh, Father James, any comments before we continue? Well, I, I gotta unmute you. Or where are you? Here you are. I got it. I, I unmuted myself. Okay, anything to add? Just let me. Um, well, we're, we're talking about the divine liturgy and we experience the divine liturgy, you know, every Sunday and sometimes more frequently than that. But we go, we live our Christian lives, our Orthodox Christian lives from liturgy to liturgy to liturgy also. So it's a part of the continuum. Uh -huh. And in a certain sense, this liturgy that we participate in every week also ties us to eternity and takes us out of this time and this space into eternity because God is eternal. And because, uh, and also, uh, it's, uh, it transcends um, the love that we normally see in our three-dimensional world. Love of God permeates everything in the liturgy. And I don't know about you, but when I leave the liturgy, when I walk out of the nave toward the fellowship hall, there is a, a real grace that goes with it that comes from having participated in the liturgy and the, in the eternity of God uh, that we take with us. And we go from liturgy, liturgy to liturgy with a product. I mean, I'm, I suppose that's the wrong way to quantify it, but with our orthodoxy working to sanctify the world around us, to bring eternity to the rest of the world and just not just to our own parish or our families or ourselves. So I just wanted to add that in there, that we, we take this in a continuum that it's, uh, it's a never-ending cycle. You know, we'll repose from this world, but the liturgy will always go on. So I just wanted to add that. Thank you, Father. Um, now, um, so the liturgy is what, like I said, has defined Orthodox Christians in, in the, from the very beginning of the church, so much so that when, for example, the Roman government wanted to persecute the church, wanted to stamp out the church, um, how did they technically do that? Have you thought about that? How would they go and say, we're going to not have the church, we're going to try and destroy the church? Uh, in the Roman government, uh, they technically persecuted the church by outlawing their gatherings, that is, outlawing the Eucharistic service. They would come and they would 
they would try and find out where the Christians were worshiping and, and um, break into the services and to, to disrupt them and to arrest anybody who's there. That's why we have, as you may or may not know, the, cons- the, the, um, the godparents, because godparents would vouch that a person entering the church was a true believer who was prepared and was genuine in his, his or her conversion. We also, as you know, had the uh, symbol of the fish. That So when someone was entering into the, uh, into the uh, community of the church, they would draw the first arc with a fish, and then another person would complete it with another arc, and that, they would be, that would be the password to enter in. So the, uh, the government, Roman government uh, persecuted the church, by, and their, their main weapon, their main tool was to outlaw the liturgy. Um, the Roman government made legal charges against the Christians, mainly based on what they heard or what they tried to, to pin on the Christians through what they did in the liturgy. Listen to some of the things that, they, um, that the Roman government uh, used to uh, persecute and prosecute the Christians. The Christians were, cons- uh, were accused of atheism in their liturgy. How could that be? They were considered to be atheists because they refused to worship the Roman gods and they refused to, to venerate the Roman emperor when he started to think that he was also a god. And so they would not venerate the Roman gods and so they were, they were, they were accused of being atheists. They were accused of being un-Roman in their liturgies because, you know, Rome was a pretty tolerant place when it came to uh, religion. You can worship anything you want as long as you, wor- you worshiped the Roman gods as well and if you venerated the emperor. So when the Christians would not, would not do that, and the Jews as well, they were, they were accused of being un-Roman, they were accused of being uh, um, undependable, accused of being like a fifth column that would, what would happen if, uh, who, who, what side would they choose if there were any ever trouble? So they were accused of being un-Roman. The Christians in their liturgy were accused of being cannibals. Can you imagine why? They were, because they were receiving the body and blood of Christ. Right, so they were accused of being cannibals. And then finally they were accused of, of uh, the worst of, of uh, immoral behaviors because they had what were called agape meals, love meals. These meals that they would come together after the worship and, uh, and they would get together and have meals. They called love meals, but it was a, a, this love between God and man, not between the Roman. The Romans were always listening with a Roman mind and a, a Roman way of looking at things. They're dirty minds, right? So they could not understand the purity and the experience and the reverence and the loyalty that the Christians had to the one God. And so this is why, so they tried to outlaw the, um, the Eucharist. Now, one of the books we're reading uh, is our, our textbook. By the way, let me, let me do this little note. One book that we're reading is called, oh, is this backwards? It's backwards. What if I do this? It's called Let Us Attend, A Journey Through the Orthodox Divine Liturgy, available on, uh, on Amazon. 
and also another book that we're using, that I'm using to prepare my notes. It's a fantastic book. You may, I don't know if you've seen this, Father James, or if it's in your bookstore. It's called The Heavenly Banquet. It is, it is like my college textbook. It even has pictures. Pictures and side articles and color, full color, everything. So it's a fantastic book. If you, this is also available off of, uh, off of Amazon. Uh, but Father Lawrence Farley in this book uh, described how the mistake that, in contrast to the, to the Romans, the mistake that the Soviets made is that they did everything to persecute the church. You could not teach about Christianity. You could not go and be missionaries. You could not have Sunday school. But the mistake they made, the Soviet government, is that they allowed the liturgies to come together because they knew the people. That's the one thing they would not put up with is being separated from the church. And that's why, even though in the Soviet Union, Orthodox Christians were, were battered and, and imprisoned, that the church survived throughout the whole of the Soviet Union, even up to today. So this is how important the divine liturgy is that we have, and we have the privilege of being able to participate in the um, every, every time, every Sunday. Um, so this week by week gathering at the Eucharist is what constitutes the church. When we talk about the church as the ecclesia, we are referring to the gathering of the body of Christ so to worship God and to commune with him both in heaven and on earth. Now, I'm not sure what our levels of Greek are in, the, in, our, in our group here, but the word ecclesia is the word for um, church in Greek. Um, the word ecclesia is two, two, part, two Greek words together. Ek means it's a preposition. It means out of or going out. Like if I go out the door, I go exotin porta, outside the door. Klesia comes from the Greek word kaleso, which means to invite or to call. Like even today in modern Greek, forget, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Dina, that even in Greek we say to invite someone to a, a birthday party, we say kaleso, we're going to call this, invite this person over. So the church is a gathering from out and about, we are called together, we are invited, and we are, and we are called to invite other people to gather, to be in the presence of the living God and to become the body of Christ. So this ecclesia is even defined by this gathering. Don't listen to anybody who says, I can have church on my own. That doesn't make sense, according to how the church is defined. The church is a community. It is the people coming together for the purpose of worshiping God and being in his presence and, and accepting uh, his body and blood uh, into our bodies and souls through communion. Now, the Eucharist also is, as Father James said, timeless. It's ancient. It's ancient not because it's old, but it's ancient because we have this continuation, as Father James says, from the very beginning of the church all the way to today and all the way to the future, forever and ever to the ages of ages. I hope that we're learning to love the liturgy because we're going to be celebrating the liturgy. This is what heaven is. Heaven is not a cloud. 
Heaven is not Starbucks with eternal, with eternal mochas, pour it, pour it on your cup whenever you want, whatever are the, the images we have. Heaven is worship and being around God. It's a divine. Now here in this world, I know about you, I'm tired. I'm always tired. I'm, I just turned 50 years old. I, I ache and I creak and I, whatever. This is, that's the thing of the creation here. But in heaven, we're going to be restored to our original beauty, like it says. We're going to be 100% in shape and, and focused, no distractions, nothing to keep us from focusing on the, and on, on the joy that is being with God. So the Eucharist, another uh, thing that we say about it, is that it is an eschatological uh, enterprise. Now this word eschatological, I'm not sure what we, what we know about that word, but the word eschaton means the end. And so, we, and so eschatological is the study of the end times. Now I don't want you to become like a, some, think like some televangelist out there and, uh, and, um, and, uh, and well, all the images that we have from there. We are living now in the end times. When Jesus Christ became God incarnate and lived among men, that was the beginning of the end times, the perfection, the culmination, the, perf the full maturing of mankind that God came to be with his people and to dwell among us. When he went to the cross, that was the beginning of the end times, the beginning of the end of sin, the beginning and the end of the the um, reign of the devil on earth. When Jesus rose from the dead, it inaugurated all that we have here in our, in our liturgy today. When he ascended into heaven and sat at the right hand of the Father, uh, Jesus elevated all flesh. I'm, it's not my words, it's the words of the hymns of the church, that he elevated us and gave us a new life, a new vision, a new direction, a new purpose, a new, a new um, we have been forgiven, we have been redeemed and restored. All these things define these end times. I remember one father of the church says, said that, you know, at, at the resurrection, the devil was received um, a mortal blow. And that these times, the, the devil is now kind of writhing, and he's kind of... Um, and, and dying, and then we're dealing with the, the uh, wounded animal that we have here, but, but Christ is always with us. These times that we have are very different, and this is what we celebrate in the Divine Liturgy. Um, so we are in the end times. We begin to, we, we belong to Christ. Uh, we are living presently in the heavenly kingdom, here and now. Uh, when, we, when we begin the Divine Liturgy, as we'll go, we'll begin, uh, I'm not sure if we'll begin the liturgy tonight, um, but, or, or the next time, but we say, blessed is the kingdom. We don't say, blessed was the kingdom. We don't say, blessed shall be the kingdom. We say, blessed is the kingdom because it is, it is a reality. It is, an ex it is how we live today. It is our existence. Um, so, Week by week, whether on a Sunday or on a weekday, in the Eucharistic gathering, we are planted in Christ. And so we become 
in the divine liturgy, eschatological beings. Have you ever, have you ever, have you ever thought of yourself as being an eschatological being? Put that on your t-shirt I'm gonna, or on your bumper. You might need two bumper stickers to put that on your bumper sticker across your car. That we human beings, we are eschatological beings are the normal people. It is what God created us to be through sin and through distraction and through whatever it is we fall. I am not immune to this myself because I too get distracted. We get, we get lost in the weeds of the world and we start thinking, forgetting all the, uh, start focusing on the, uh, on the things that we think matter today, um, that we, then we start forgetting that we're eschatological beings. And then we fall into sin if we forget who we are, these eschatological beings. So the Eucharist makes us who we are meant to be. It is the means by which God reveals himself to us, creates us, plants his kingdom in the midst of men. And so this liturgy is part of our journey. Uh, it is the journey. And the question I have, we can have uh, as we go this, when we say that the liturgy of, is a journey, the book is called The, uh, the Journey Through the uh, Orthodox Divine Liturgy. From where are we starting? Have we started? And where are we now? And where are we going through this liturgy that we are, that we are celebrating today? Um, I'm going to, um, before we move on, I'm going to go on my thing here. And, uh, and uh, if I can learn how to do that, how do you do that? Oh, I'm going to open up sort of some questions. Oh, here we go. Unmute all. Does anybody have any questions or comments? I love it. Joy, I don't know if you heard Joy say, but she asked um, in, in the early church, did they celebrate the liturgy? And the answer is most definitely yes. One thing we know, we know a lot about the liturgy, uh, and how it was celebrated. Uh, it, may, it may not look as we have today, we celebrate it today. Um, we're going to talk about, a, in fact, that's the next thing we're going to go into, or the, is the origins of the divine liturgy. But yes, in the early church, um, they did celebrate the Eucharist. How do we know that? Where do we know that from? Very obvious. The Bible. Yes. The New Testament. Jesus said to his disciples, take, eat, this is my body. Uh, given for you for the, for your, for the, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. I've only said it a thousand times. Father James, help me. I've only said it a thousand times in the liturgy. Take the, uh, this broken few for the remission of sins. There we go. That's it. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus says. So the very, the very, the very high point of the, of the uh, New Testament, of the Gospels, um, is Jesus, is this institution of the Eucharist. So um, the origins and the words and the acts of the divine liturgy are well known. There's a whole study of, of, uh, the, of the liturgy in the, uh, called uh, liturgics. Um, uh, so we, and we, we can go back and see the development. And so some things we, uh, I, always, I always had this like thought, I thought about this thought experiment. What if, what if one of the disciples who were with Jesus at the first institution 
of the Divine Liturgy of the Eucharist, got in a time machine and came to our church last Sunday. And they saw us worshiping either at St. Sophia or at St. Innocent. Say uh, St. Peter. Would he recognize what we were doing as the Divine Liturgy? I don't know. If we got in a time machine and we went back to a church in the year 67 AD where St. Paul is writing to the, I believe, the Corinthians, and we saw the liturgy that they were celebrating, would we recognize what they were doing as the liturgy? I would say yes. It may be different. There may be a lot of differences. I don't know if they had our vestments, Father James, back then. If they were the if they were the mitres and the crosses, like the bishops, they had bishops, but did they did they have those things? I don't know. It's like when um, my family and I we went to the baseball hall of fame a few years ago, and my first of all my son he was uh, kind of having being grumpy that day, and he said, "Oh, it's just a bunch of shoes and gloves in the in the uh, in the uh, in the hall of fame," and so. You go, and it's done chronologically, by the way, the Hall of Fame. And you go and you see the very beginnings of baseball in the 1830s, 1840s. They didn't have gloves. The ball was that big. The bats were so were flat. They didn't have outs. They didn't have balls. and They had four strikes. Um, and you can look at that, and they can look at those guys back then and say, you know what? Still, I could say they were playing baseball. They had different rules, but the same the – same, purpose of the game. So when we look back throughout the centuries and the things we're going to be looking at here, they may look different. I would say it looks more similar than it does look different, but we still recognize throughout the centuries, uh, we recognize the divine liturgy. So um, if I can, uh, I hope hope we're doing okay. Father James, you doing okay? Okay, let's continue. Yeah, we're doing okay. Father, yes. Is this Christos? I would like to make a comment about uh, about uh, our liturgy, okay. uh, the one that we do most of the Sundays. Right, is uh, the author is Saint John Chrysostom. Yes, and uh, he lived. Uh, he died uh, somewhere around a little after 400 AD. Uh-huh. So I w- I would venture to say that if someone put me in a church in Saint Sophia, let's say, uh, but in Constantinople at uh, 450 AD, I would probably recognize. Yes. For sure. But if you showed up, <laughs> we're going to talk about this. As soon as you may have never thought about before. If you showed up at, say, 10 o'clock at the Church of St. Sophia uh, and they began the liturgy, it wouldn't have begun where it begun, begins today. That may, we're going to talk about this in a, in a few. I'm not sure if we're going to talk about this class or the next class. So even the order of the liturgy would have been a little different. It would have started at a different time. They would have started in the ancient church where we have the small entrance with the gospel book. That's when the liturgy started. So what was this? What is this thing they were doing before the before the gospel book entry? No one was even in the church before the entrance of the God. What were they doing in the church before they arrived? So we're going to start learning about the development of the, and how it did, how it did change. What the liturgy did they celebrate before the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom? 
I know they, they celebrated the liturgy of St. Basil, right? Some people say, oh, thank you, St. John Chrysostom, for making uh, St. Basil's liturgy a little shorter. Thanks for getting out the, the scissors, the cutting and pasting, and took out. That's not what St. John Chrysostom did. Uh, we're going to study what that is. You know, there are two traditions of the liturgy. Uh, there was the, you know, and the, the liturgy that we have is the later one. Before that, there was a monastic uh, uh, influence liturgy. There were two liturgies. There was a monastic liturgy. Then there was a liturgy in Constantinople. And then there was this fusion of the two liturgies uh, and over the centuries what we have today. And we'll talk about what are some of the cathedral, what are called the cathedral elements and what are some of the monastic elements that we have uh, today in our, liturg in, in our liturgy. So um, we have, we're going to look into some interesting things together. Um, but just, we're going to do, we're going to do a, let's do it right now, a short review of the origins of the divine Eucharist. This by means is not going to be detailed. I'm going to paint with the biggest brush that I have, right? We're going to cover thousands of years in the next about four minutes. So, uh, but we'll have a lot of time to delve into these things. So the origins of the Eucharist. Um, I do have a slideshow. I forgot about it. Oh, well. I'll add it in later. Okay, so the origins of the, um, the, divine, the divine Eucharist can be directly traced back to the Eucharistic meal that our Lord had with his disciples in the upper rooms. All three of what are called the synoptic gospels. The word synoptic means the gospels where they look together, see means together, opt like optic like glasses looking. The three gospels are Mark, John and Luke, all three of those have the divine Eucharist in it. John's gospel, it has a whole different thing going on, very theological, and, and it's, it's, not, it's of a different character than the other three gospels, the synoptics. But the synoptics all narrate this um, Eucharistic meal. Um, we perpetuate this meal because Jesus commanded his disciples to do so. And they taught their disciples to do so, and so on, and so on, all the way down to Metropolitan Gerasimos, coming here and teaching me first in seminary, and then coming here every September 17th uh, for uh, our feast day and telling me, Father Michael, you're not doing that right. Keep doing it. You're still learning how to do things and, and, and to maintain this tradition that we have. Um, it all goes back to Jesus and the commandment that he gave to uh, to do this in remembrance of me. Uh, it even says on what day they celebrated the Eucharist. On the first day of the week, it says in Acts. Uh, and the church gathered together to break bread. Right? Um, something about when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. I remember I was a, before I was even a, before I was a seminarian, uh, uh, evangelical Christian friend told me, see, Jesus didn't mean that the, that the Eucharist is actually the body and blood of Christ because Jesus here says, do this in remembrance of me. Meaning, it's a, he said, it's a symbol. It's a, something that is not really, it's not really the body and blood of Christ that so we, we do and the church has always taught that the divine, the real presence of Christ is in the, uh, in the uh, um, 
in the bread and the in the wine, it becomes the body and blood of Christ. I wish I wish I knew Greek when I was with this guy some 20 years ago. Now I do. And I know what Greeks mean when we talk about even the word remembrance. The word remembrance in Greek is I can't do I cannot do this uh, M and N together. Christos, help me. Mimosino. Um, <laughs> uh, because, that's right. That's right. Anamnesis. That's anamnesis. Anamnesis in the Greek understanding is to um, commemorate. To to commemorate in the Greek understanding means to come into the presence of something. Right now, even though we're in Zoom and you're there and I'm here, we are coming into our presence somehow. I know you're there. You know I'm here. We're, we're remembering each other somehow. We are in the presence. We are in, and so when we say, do this in remembrance of me, Jesus says, he's saying, come into the presence. Wherever you are, celebrate this liturgy and come into the presence. Have you noticed that for another word of the memory that we use in the church is the memorial service. That's the word I can't say, Christos, because I'm Californian. Nimosinon, right? Why do we say, may their memory be eternal? It's not because we are have, in our brains are gonna, it's so important that we remember that person that, that reposed, even though it's very important that we do so, we love them. But this memory that we're talking about is the memory of God. God's memory creates, God's memory recreates. When God forgets, we cease to exist. Is that one of the Psalms? Right? So we pray that God remembers that person because that memory brings people to life. So what is Jesus saying when he says, do this in remembrance of me? He is inviting us to be in his presence. He is inviting us have him come into our body. He is inviting us to be given life. So it's not symbolic. It is something very, very real. The whole liturgy is, as we'll talk about soon in another class, the whole liturgy is what is called the anamnesis, called the remembrance. And so the disciples and the, and the apostles, all the way up to, and their successors, follow Jesus' commandment to do this in remembrance of me all the way up to today. So, um, now, in the early church, first, first uh, decades of the church, where did they celebrate the liturgy? Where did Christians gather to worship? This is before they had to hide. They didn't have to hide. Very good, Joyce, yes. The, the Christians met in the temple... They met in the synagogue. They worshipped as Jews in the temple in the synagogue. They would do the worship there. They would, after that, they would go and on, they would have an agape meal, this Eucharistic meal, on the next day, the day after the Sabbath, because uh, they, they, on the Lord's Day, the Kiriaki Imeta, the day of the resurrection, they would have this agape meal. But until the year 70 AD, we know the exact year, Christians met in the synagogue. And we're going to see uh, throughout these classes that the synagogue, the synagogue worship and the temple worship 
is all over the divine liturgy that we, that we, uh, that we celebrate. So the pattern of worship for uh, the liturgy uh, came straight out of the synagogue and straight out of the temple. Now, what a priest meant in the Old Testament temple of Jerusalem and what a priest, me and Father James, mean now has a very different understanding. What a sacrifice, which what a priest does is sacrifice, is very different than what they did in the temple of Jerusalem and what is done in the, the church on a Sunday. First of all, who is the priest of the church? Here's a question for you. Who's the priest of St. Sophia? Who's the priest of, uh, of um, St. Innocent? Don't answer for Jesus. Jesus. He's the priest. He is the great high priest. I don't know about on your bishop's throne, but on our bishop's throne, the, high, the biggest throne in the church, it says that Jesus is the, the king of kings and the great high priest. So even when they call me a priest or Father James a priest, that has a different meaning than what a priest in the Old Testament meant, right? We're presbyters, right? We're called priests because the word priest comes from presbyter. And nobody, even in the book of Acts, no one knows really what a presbyter did in the, in the book of Acts. They know what a bishop did, an overseer. They know what a deacon did, but really the presbyter really kind of was kind of ephemeral. Now we know what we do, but this, so there was a development over that time. But so there's a different, but the idea of a priest and a sacrifice comes, is actually a Christian would say that, it, that the priesthood that we have, the church that we have, the liturgy that we have, is the culmination of all that time and worship in the Old Testament. In fact, all the Old Testament, Jesus in, the pre, in his pre-incarnate time was preparing to what we have today in our liturgy, right? So, so the first Christians met in the, uh, the synagogue. They met in the uh, temple. In the year 70 AD, uh, there it was called the uh, Council of Jamnia, uh, that's when the uh, Jewish leaders uh, instituted uh, both uh, liturgical and ethic, ethnic cleansing of their worship and all the different uh, groups and sects in, in, the, um, in Judaism were kicked out. So not just Christians, but other Jewish uh, groups were kicked out of the temple and the synagogue. And that's when Joyce, they started to go and meet in homes or meet wherever they had to meet, even secretly, um, to avoid the persecution, not only from the Romans, but also from their fellow countrymen. Um, but the Christians still brought this pattern uh, with them. Um, what time were we? Seven, so I, I promised that we would end the discussion at 7.45. I hope I have not over-talked Father James, I hope I have not overtalked, and everyone else. Uh, some people, you, you don't look. No one looks asleep. Some people are. Uh, I only see their fa their pictures on there. But but it will, let's conclude here uh, the discussion, the uh, presentation part, and let's. Uh, if there are any kind of questions or hopes and desires for this class, things that we want to want to cover as well. Uh, what's our homework? Your homework. Who asked that? Who asked? Who asked? That was me. Okay. Good job. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> I would say if you haven't had, if you haven't had this, this book will be the, uh, the uh, you have it. Okay. If someone does not have it, I can send you the first chapter. 
uh, and read this and read up to the um, we're next the next class we're going to cover the basic liturgical structure of the ancient church and we're going to begin with uh, blessed is the kingdom and we're going to right now my notes only go to the end of the small entrance okay sure. that'll be the first unit that will that will go through uh, good question Joyce that will be chapter um, they're short chapters, so let's do chapter, I feel like a professor, this is so exciting. Uh, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, and chapter four. Yeah. And chapter five, why not? 27 pages. Excellent, okay. All right. Well, oh, there goes my alarm. I, I set my alarm. To, yes, yes. Question: well, The time frame. Let's put some time frame on this. Uh, Saint John Chrysostom's liturgy. How and when? When and who? 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 Who implemented that? What group? What body said this is the standard? Um, that is a good question. Again, there. Saint John. Those are the days when people wrote liturgies. We know that we have the liturgy of Saint John Chrysostom. We have the liturgy of Saint Basil. Next Friday for Father James name day, we could celebrate the liturgy of St. James. I don't know if you do that at St. Innocent. Uh, we don't. Yeah, it would be a Chrysostom liturgy for St. James, but it'll be at St. Andrew, so. Okay, um, but uh, at, so that's a very, that's a completely different liturgy. It's the, it's the most ancient liturgy that we have other than the liturgy of the pre-sanctified gifts, which is probably about the same age as the liturgy of St. James. Of course, St. James was in Jerusalem. St. Basil was in Caesarea. Um, St. Gregory the Great uh, was the Pope of Rome. He wrote, he's credited with his own divine liturgy, uh, remnants of which we have in the, the pre-sanctified liturgy, um, and other liturgies. To name them, uh, to name them, dates and times, I could do that homework, and that that might be that might we, I might try and work that into one of our discussions, uh, Bill. But but uh, but um, and that could be a question: Why has why do we only celebrate the F Chrysostom, Basil, Gregory the Great, and and James only once a year? We we celebrate the Liturgy of Saint James is very different, by the way. It's a completely different order completely different words. It's mostly in tone. There's very few things in my experience. You receive communion, not with a spoon, but you receive it in everybody receives the, the body into their hands and everybody, lay people and clergy alike, drink from the cup. That's what we did at seminary. Very, think, very, very inefficient, by the way. You can see why the spoon came to be. Well, not only that, but it's, it's very time-consuming. I remember the bishop, when, he, when we celebrated that liturgy at Holy Cross, he was so afraid that we're going to drop it on the ground. Someone's going to drop it on the ground. You know, you know if you drop the liturgy, we, we value communion so much that if it falls on the ground, it's very traumatic for a priest. And we need to burn the, we need to burn the ground, the carpet, at Holy Cross in the seminary, we had so many new deacons and it fell on the ground so many times that now they have a marble floor. But when I was there, the carpet looked like the moon. So many craters of burn spots around there because they kept having to burn the carpet. So it just shows that what we, 
the acts, the, the, the things we sing, the things we say, the things we confess, the things we do in the liturgy, all reflect what we believe. And so another, another goal of this class is when we do something, why do we do it? What does it reflect that we believe? That how, does it, how does it witness the gospel to ourselves and to each other and then to the world around us? So, John, I think Chrysostom was prolific in his writings and uh -huh. prolific in his homilies and strong in his beliefs and extremely humble and pious. And uh, the lady loved him. He was a beloved person. And so uh, when he composed his liturgy, I'm pretty sure it was accepted for use by both the clergy and the people as a great expression of uh, our relationship to Christ and um, the Holy Eucharist. And I believe that that's why it has stayed and been in the tradition that's been handed down for, you know, it, I say it, it's the word I don't like to use, but popularity. But uh -huh. it is the one that is used the most, I think, for those reasons. Yeah. And I mean, to see the actual, the actual implementation of it. But I, I would suppose that a lot of times those things aren't exactly noted. They just come into being. That I, would, I would guess that's the, that was case too. It also, there's also affirmation through the councils of the church, through the hierarchy of the church, through local practices, uh, but also that, that, tra that travel throughout and become somehow part of the body of the church that we have here. Um, also, we, the, you know, the St. Basil liturgy um, is also so, there's, it's so beautiful if there's there's one part of the priest's prayer that if anyone memorized that that the uh, anaphora of Saint Basil, you you can go go on the street corner, get your box, stand up there, read the anaphora, and you're gonna be you could be a better than any street preacher out there. It's, it has everything of the uh, of our faith encapsulated in a in a in maybe 30, 30 sentences that uh, we have. So. Um, there's a lot of, lot of neat things that we're going to learn together, I, and um, I'm so happy that we have a nice turnout today, I see. Uh, these are being recorded, um, so, um, I, um, so those who miss them uh, can watch them later on. All right, how about that? How will we finish? Father James, how about, would you mind uh, finishing with a prayer? Sure. Okay. Let's pray to the Lord. Lord have mercy. Well, Christ our God, we thank you for gathering us tonight, Ecclesia, to gather us even in front of our, uh, our computers, to study the liturgy in which we get to know you and which transforms us and transforms our life if only we open our will to it. For this, uh, we are grateful through the prayers of our Holy Fathers, Lord Jesus Christ our God, have mercy on us and save us. Amen. Amen. So we'll see everybody next Thursday at 7 p.m. Have a good night. I don't know how we thank do you. I'm going to count down the five and I'm going to turn it off. How about that? Okay. Five, four, three, two, one.